That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. Today we're doing a special report on Hurricane Sandy and its nuclear aftermath. There will be excerpts from interviews with Arnie Gunderson and a Nuclear Hot Seat exclusive interview with Michael Marriott, Executive Director of Nuclear Information and Resource Service, or NEARS. Today is Tuesday, October 30th, 2012, and here is the week's nuclear news. While there was nuclear news elsewhere in the world, here in the States we've been riveted by Superstorm Sandy. As the hurricane took shape and gained power last week, we in the nuclear-free movement became aware that 12 nuclear power facilities stood in the path of Sandy and were possibly going to be impacted. The 12 were and are Brunswick in North Carolina, Surrey and North Anna in Virginia, Calvert Cliffs in Maryland, Salem, Hope Creek, and Oyster Creek in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, Peach Bottom, Limerick, Three Mile Island, and Susquehanna, Indian Point in New York, Millstone in Connecticut, Pilgrim in Massachusetts, Seabrook in New Hampshire, and Vermont Yankee in Vermont. Now, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission does not have a policy of ordering shutdowns or reductions in capacity in advance of massive storms. In fact, the NRC has no blanket protocol for these situations, period. By Monday morning, October 29, regulators from the NRC agreed to dispatch extra inspectors to nuclear plants in harm's way. They even gave the inspectors satellite phones to use. But they left it to private nuclear utility operators to decide what would be done in advance to prepare for the predicted natural disaster. Protecting people and the environment... Indeed. In advance of Sandy making landfall, on Monday, October 29, nuclear consultant Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds.com was interviewed for Democracy Now! by Amy Goodman. He discussed the possible impact of the storm on these 12 nuclear facilities. I think the industry should preemptively shut down plants in the storm's wake, but it's not going to solve the the entire problem. It's really likely that the grid, the electric grid that, that's out there, will collapse, and these plants will become islands, um, electric islands, and they, uh, they'll have to rely on their diesel generators to provide power. A bunch of these plants are in refuelings right now, and when you're in a refueling outage, you are not required to have all your diesels running. You can be tearing apart one and only have one diesel on uh, available. So the concern is that should they lose off-site power, all of this heat needs to be removed and you're relying on just one diesel to keep the, uh, the nuclear reactor cool. The, the biggest problem, uh, as I see it right now, is the Oyster Creek plant, uh, which is on Barnegat Bay in, um, in New Jersey. That appears to be right about the, the center of the storm. Oyster Creek is the same design, but even older than Fukushima Daiichi uh, Unit 1. Um, it 
creates in a refueling outage. That means that all the nuclear fuel is not in the nuclear reactor, but it's over in the spent fuel pool. And in that condition, there's no backup power for the spent fuel pools. So if Oyster Creek were to lose its offsite power, and, and then, frankly, that's really likely, um, there will be no way to cool that nuclear um, fuel that's in the fuel pool um, until they get the power reestablished. Nuclear fuel pools don't have to be cooled by diesels per um, the old Nuclear Regulatory Commission regulations. I hope the N Nuclear Regulatory Commission changes that and forces the industry to cool its nuclear fuel pools as well. This time of year, there's a lot of power plants in refueling outages, and um, all of those plants will be in a situation where there's no fuel in the nuclear reactor. It's all in the fuel pool. Systems have been shut down to be maintained, including diesels, perhaps even completely dismantled. And um, uh, in the event that there's a loss of offsite power from the high winds from this hurricane, um, uh, we will see the, um, the water in the fuel pools begin to heat up. Amy Goodman then cited Neil Sheehan, a representative of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, who said in a press release, these plants have to be able to withstand all sorts of natural phenomenon, earthquakes, severe flooding, tropical storms, lightning storms, tornadoes. They need to be able to deal with all of that. We like to say they're very robust structures. They can deal with a lot of punishment. But at the same time, they have procedures in place to guide them through this. She then asked Arnie Gunderson for his comments. You know, this isn't like um, like the big bad wolf. They can huff and puff, and, and they won't blow this plant down, uh, especially a, a hurricane that's only 85-mile-an-hour winds. It's not a question of the winds from this hurricane um, blowing the plant down. It's a question of the loss of off-site power. That's exactly what happened after Fukushima Daiichi. The earthquake uh, destroyed the off-site power. At that point, the nuclear plant relies on its diesels. And um, uh, my, my big concern is diesel reliability and the fact that um, nuclear plants don't have to cool their nuclear fuel pools off their diesels uh, per NRC regulations. I think those are the, the, the two big concerns for, um, for Hurricane Sandy. As is often the case, Arnie proved prescient. As Sandy advanced and made landfall, the first reactor to show problems was Oyster Creek in New Jersey, only 15 miles north of Atlantic City and 60 miles east of Philadelphia. Oyster Creek's 47-year-old design requires massive amounts of external water that must be actively pumped through the plant to keep it cool. Even when the reactor is offline, as was the case on Monday, water must circulate through the spent fuel pools to keep them from overheating, risking fire and airborne radioactive contamination. An alert was declared at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday because of a storm surge above criteria for cooling water intake system. Alert is the second level of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's four-level emergency classification system. It indicates, quote, Events are in process or have occurred which involve an actual or potential substantial degradation gradation in the level of safety of the plant. By way of reference, a fourth level, a general emergency, indicates substantial core damage and a potential loss of containment, which has only been called once in our history, and that was at Three Mile Island. This second level 
of the NRC is usually referred to by them and by the media as the second lowest level, a linguistic wording intended to keep people calm when in truth it's number two on a four-point scale, meaning you're already halfway to kiss your ass goodbye. In one of the great numbnuts moments surrounding Sandy, an NRC spokesman said that since Oyster Creek was already shut for refueling, Exelon could use water from the fire hose to cool the spent fuel pool if necessary. That's like using a garden hose on a forest fire, guys. Not exactly what the job requires. Or as Rad Chick so succinctly posted on Facebook, don't you hate it when spent fuel and fire hose is used in the same sentence? Last night... A plant spokesperson for Exelon said that a further rise in water to seven feet could submerge the service water pump motor that is used to cool the water in the spent fuel pool, potentially forcing it to use emergency water supplies from the in-house fire suppression system to keep the rods from overheating. In other words, the fire hoses. Exelon spokesman David Tillman said he did not know whether the service water system was operational last night. If you don't know, who does? On Tuesday, an NRC spokesman said that levels overnight reached a peak of 7.4 feet, apparently above the stated threshold of 7 feet. He said that the company had moved a portable pump to the water intake structure as a precaution, but said it has not needed to use it, to which we add, yet. Federal Emergency Management Agency FEMA Administrator Craig Fugate said on the Today Show, right now there is no imminent threat of releases. There's no protective actions around the plant. Exelon also said in a statement that there was no danger to equipment and no threat to public health or safety. I believe that's something akin to what they said on the Titanic as well. This morning, to get an unvarnished perspective on how things stand, I spoke with Michael Marriott, Executive Director of Nuclear Information and Resource Service, in his office in Washington, D.C. Michael, you're on the East Coast, and we've just come through what seems to be the worst of Sandy. How did the nuclear plants do? Well, the most serious problems, uh, I think, occurred at the Oyster Creek reactor in central New Jersey. Uh, It was very close to where Sandy made landfall. And an alert was declared there uh, late last night because the storm surge was larger than the plant was designed for and had the potential for causing problems with the plant's service water intake system. And what that system is is how the reactor actually brings in water for cooling the plant. So it's a very vital system. We don't know the extent of any damage to the system. Oyster Creek has actually been shut down for about a week or so for uh, other issues, although it still needs cooling water. Anyway, we don't know the extent of any possible damage to the system. We haven't heard of any problems with cooling the reactor at this point, but the information coming from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has been pretty sketchy. We haven't seen any information from the utility involved. So they're needing the power there. The reactor is offline, but the power is needed to run the cooling system for the spent fuel pool. Is that correct? Well, it's needed to run the cooling system for both the reactor and the fuel pool. That's correct. You know, even though a reactor is shut down, it can still overheat very quickly uh, without cooling water. It needs, you know, there has to be a continual flow of cooling water for you know, quite a long period. You know, this is a, a very vital part of the plant. 
as I said, we, we don't have any indications that the cooling water has been cut off to the plant, but they did have to declare an alert. Which is the second level. It's a four-step thing, four That's steps, and this is up from one to number two, which is the uh, unusual event, to number two, which is alert, which right. I love the way they always frame it, that it's uh, it's the second lowest as opposed to it's third from the top. <laughs> That's right. Well, it, it, the NRC's uh, classification system is pretty inadequate at really telling you what the risks are. In fact, initially they declared an unusual event, and then about an hour later uh, they had to declare an alert. Uh, the next step would be a site area emergency, and the final step is called a general emergency, and I think that's only happened once in the history of U.S. nuclear power, which was Three Mile Island. So, so we're nowhere near that that we know of with Oyster Creek or any of the other nuclear reactors, because I understand that several others were impacted by the storm. Right. There were some others. Uh, Nine Mile Point One up in upstate New York uh, had a storm-related problem. So did Indian Point Three. And I think there may have been a, a couple of others that uh, had to shut down. Salem Unit One did. Salem, okay. Yeah, Salem's a little further south in New Jersey than Oyster Creek, but it's still, uh, you know, all of New Jersey really experienced the, the brunt of this hurricane. Uh, I'm not surprised there's problems there. What we need to look for uh, over the next 24, 36 hours is the widespread power blackouts uh, along the East Coast, especially up New Jersey, New York area, where they seem to have been hit the hardest because, you know, as was clearly learned at Fukushima, Reactors require off-site power uh, to operate their cooling system. If you don't have electrical power, they have to rely on emergency diesel generators, uh, which are not always the most reliable components ever invented. And so you really don't want to have to run reactors on these diesel generators very long. And some of the reactors, when they are taken down for refueling and the fuel is moved out of the reactor and into the fueling pond, isn't that a time when also sometimes repairs are taking place on the diesel generators as well? Yeah, sometimes they work on generators. Uh, typically, a, a reactor will have at least two generators, each one capable of uh, powering the entire reactor. They're not supposed to have both of them out at one time, although it has happened uh, on numerous occasions over the years that the plant has had both of them out uh, at one time. But anyway, this is what we'll have to see. We don't have information here right now as to how many reactors may right now be operating on diesel power, nor do we have a sense yet, especially in the harder hit areas to the north of us, uh, how long power is going to be out. You know, most reactors on the East Coast continued operating all the way through the storm, and they are putting out power, uh, into the, and certainly it will be a high priority of the utilities to restore power to their reactors, uh, probably before they restore power to regular customers. Uh, again, you know, we just don't have a sense this afternoon uh, of how long that could be a problem, so that would be the thing to watch for, again, over the next 24 hours or so. So we're not necessarily out of the woods with this? No, we're not out of the woods. There remains the possibility of problems. Uh, certainly the people around Oyster Creek are not out of the woods because only seven of their 43 emergency sirens are operating right now. Was that a function of the storm taking them out? Or uh, is this pre-existing? 
No, this is certainly a function of the storm. Uh, we're not clear why, though. The sirens should not require power to operate. They should have a backup power source, so it's not clear to us why so many are out, but it is definitely related to the storm. Uh, I mean, that part of New Jersey was hit pretty hard. They were slammed. Yes. If the NRC were to take any steps to, other than shutting down all the nuke plants, which of course would be the, the greatest safety step they could take, but in lieu of that, if they could take additional safety steps or mandate them for the nuclear industry, what steps would you like to see them take? First of all, this particular hurricane was a long time in coming. Uh, we all knew it was coming. Uh, everybody had time to prepare. But the most important things to prepare are things that the NRC has not yet done. One of them is a direct lesson from Fukushima is to bolster the reactor's ability to withstand loss of power uh, for you know, an extended loss of power. Right now, the reactors can run on battery power uh, for about four hours or so, which is not nearly long enough, uh, and then they need those diesel generators. Since generators are somewhat unreliable, uh, at Fukushima they all ended up underwater and didn't work at all. We really need stronger backup systems. Uh, this was a recommendation from the NRC's own Fukushima Task Force, and it has not been implemented yet. Uh, another problem for reactors like Oyster Creek, which is a GE Mark I reactor. It's a you know, Fukushima clone reactor, basically. It's also the oldest reactor in the United States, by the way. They need to have filtered venting systems that would at least allow them to vent the containment to prevent the kind of hydrogen buildup that blew up the Fukushima reactors. Now, this is not a, a cure-all because a, what a filtered venting system means is that they're releasing gases from inside the containment. Uh, these gases are radioactive, and the hope is that the filters will prevent some of that radiation from getting out. But just some uh, of that radiation. Right. They're, they're not 100% perfect by any means. Mm -hmm. uh, our belief is that, and we, we've testified to this effect before the NRC, is that is like putting a uh, Band-Aid on a broken leg, you know, on a cut on your broken leg. It's, you know, really not that effective. These reactors should have been closed after Fukushima, these uh, older GE reactors, and they should be closed now. But to the extent that they aren't closed, they should at least pony up the money to put in these venting systems, and that has not been required yet by the NRC. There are other things that have not been done yet. One of the big ones is seismic issues. Like I said, the hurricane, you know, we've had several days advance notice and utilities were able to pile up sandbags and, you know, do whatever sort of flood protection measures they needed to do. Uh, earthquakes don't give you that kind of advance notice. And yet, as a result of last summer's earthquake in Virginia, which exceeded the design specifications for the North Anna Virginia reactor, the NRC is, to its credit, uh, requiring reactors to take another look at their ability to withstand earthquakes, but to the agency's detriment, they're not doing it very quickly. Uh, and it sounds like they're asking them to look at it, but not necessarily act upon it immediately. They will have to act upon it eventually if they're found that conceivable earthquakes could exceed design specifications, but yeah, it's just not quickly. Michael, any last thing you'd like to say regarding Sandy? and the nuclear situation in the wake of uh, this horrific storm. 
after every disaster, we often have to say, well, we lucked out this time. Uh, it wasn't quite as bad as it, it could have been. One of these times, we're not going to be able to say that. And that's why we need to close reactors and take the steps necessary to bring about an energy future that's both nuclear-free and carbon-free. As the storm moved on, carrying its destruction further inland and leaving the battered citizens of the East Coast to take account of the destruction, Arne Gunderson again appeared on Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman to give us a sense of what we still face in the wake of Sandy. Um, of course, the problem is that uh, Salem and uh, the Oyster Creek plant, which we just talked about, um, were in a refueling mode. And what that means is that all of the nuclear fuel is not in a nuclear reactor. It's in the spent fuel pool. And when you uh, lose off-site power, you can't cool the fuel pool. So I suspect in the next couple of days we're going to see reports of um, you know the fuel pool is heating up um, as, um, uh, because they were unable to cool the spent fuel pool. So here's the rest of the Sandy nuclear scorecard as it exists according to the NRC as of 5 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, October 30th. In addition to all the rest that you've heard about Oyster Creek, 36 of 43 emergency warning sirens in the emergency planning zone have failed in the last 24 hours. At Nine Mile Point in Scriba, New York, there was a scram due to load reject. The reactor was running at 100% when the fault caused the reactor into emergency automatic shutdown. Emergency diesel generators kicked in. So that you understand, a scram is an emergency shutdown. And it is not a stress-free event, even for the most robust reactors. It is akin to slamming the brakes on a speeding locomotive. These scrams cause wear and tear that aging reactors can ill afford. In addition, scrams produce pressure that usually lead to the venting of some radioactive vapor. Operators and the NRC will tell you that these releases are well within, quote, permissible levels. What they can't tell you is that permissible is the same as safe. So that's a scram at Nine Mile Point, which was not even on the initial list of reactors potentially impacted by Sandy. Moving right along, Indian Point lost off-site power to Unit 3, causing a scram from 100% power. At Salem, Unit 1 experienced a scram, dropping from 100% power after cooling water intakes were blocked by storm debris and high water from the storm. At Peach Bottom, They lost 31 of 97 warning sirens for the emergency planning zone due to Sandy. And according to the NRC, power output was diminished by nuclear plants at Limerick 1, Limerick 2, Millstone 3, and Vermont Yankee. Hopefully the worst of this story is over. But in the aftermath, we have to realize how Mother Nature has the ability to bust our best-laid plans. All the assurances of the nuclear industry and the NRC do not take away the fact that there was jeopardy. We barely missed it. But how many nuclear bullets can we be expected to duck before one of them hits us? At least the nuclear conversation has cracked into the mainstream media because it was impossible to ignore. Of course, the mainstream media will try to bury it as soon as it can, The NRC and the nuclear industry will crow about how there was never any real danger. It was just a lot of hooey coming from nuclear alarmists. Sidebar. I like to point out that if we're alarmists, so is Paul Revere. 
They're going to do whatever they can to spackle over the nuclear threat and keep us focused on downed trees, flooding, and the transportation devastation in New York City. But last year, Hurricane Irene threatened Brunswick in North Carolina. Massive hurricanes and other storms continue to be generated, in part, according to experts, because of global warming. As Sandy is proving to us now, the threat from Mother Nature remains constant and unavoidable. We don't need a tsunami to flood the coast and put nuclear reactors at risk. The right weather event can do the job, and once that happens, there's nothing we can do except pray. This is especially true when it comes to the 23 U.S. GE Mark I reactors still in operation, the exact same model that malfunctioned at Fukushima, and the same model that's at Oyster Creek and Nine Mile Point. What can we do? We can get active now, before the fear fades into weariness and mold toxicity and FEMA and insurance and TV reporters wanting to cover something, anything else. We need to be proactive as a movement and harness this window of awareness to push for an immediate shutdown and dismantling of nuclear power facilities, especially the GE Mark Ones. What can you do? Post in the comment sections of Stories About Sandy. Keep it in the news. Keep the nuclear issue front and center. Call newsrooms and tell them that the big bullet that got ducked was nuclear, and there's no guarantee that we'll be that lucky the next time. Tell them there are Pulitzers hiding in this story, because there are. Don't let the nuclear aspect of Sandy get covered up. Keep it alive. As any marketer will tell you, fear is a great motivator of action. Sandy made people afraid of nuclear? Let's not let them forget. Of course, there's been other nuclear news this week. More protests at Kudankulam in India, where 2,000 people were arrested. Consistent radiation readings in seafood caught off the U.S. West Coast. A harrowing report out of Vermont on how impossible evacuation would be around nuclear plants if the zone were expanded to 50 miles. And in Japan, TEPCO is struggling to find space to store tens of thousands of tons of highly contaminated water from Fukushima Daiichi, water that was used to cool the broken reactors, but the space is dwindling. I'll post links to these stories on the nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog page so that you can keep up with the week's information. That will be there along with a link to this recording. I want you to know that material for this special podcast was gathered from Democracy Now!, Fairwinds.com, Greg Levine on Capitoilette.com, of course the ever-dependable ENENews.com, as well as Reuters, Bloomberg, and many forwards from my Facebook network, including the Coalition Against Nukes, Radchick Radiation Research Mitigation, and Nears.com. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, October 30th, 2012. You can find our episodes posted on NuclearHotSeat.com forward slash blog, on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat pages, both Nuclear Hot Seat and Nuclear Hot Seat Group, and on iTunes Podcasts, where you can subscribe for free. Share us, link to us. This is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so use us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart 
of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep.